I am now delighted to be joined by Larry the Bald Eagle Butler. How are you, Larry? I'm doing great, Edward. It's been a weird year for Dutch, hasn't it? Been a very, very strange year. How have you found it over in America? Uh, well, every, all of our events were cancelled, so uh, it's just been some online stuff, which I'm not terribly fond of. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, health-wise, have you managed to stay safe throughout the last 12 months? Uh, so far, knock on, knock on wood here. Uh, everything's been good with me and my family. That's fantastic. You know, we're recording this on, on Sunday, the 7th of February. Q School starts tomorrow. You were initially supposed to be there, but you withdrew. Why did you pull out? I pulled out uh, along with uh, a couple other guys, but uh, it was the UK put such restrictions on travel. Fast bulk of the players there are all participating from the UK, and there really weren't very many, uh, if any, restrictions on them. Other than they, they stay in their room, I guess. But for us, it was uh, we had to have an extra ten days, and we had to uh, provide tests that we had to pay for. I mean, it was going to cost like an extra six hundred pounds, and and add add like ten days onto my trip just to participate, and that just wasn't uh, something I could do. And I mean, what prompted you to to enter in the first place? Was it having a year of playing nothing other than online dot? Actually, my, my form feels pretty good at the moment. I, I thought I would be competitive there. But, mm. uh, the, I mean, I'm, I'm sad that I couldn't make it. <laughs> and looking back to the, the start, how did you first get into the sport? Uh, I was in the Navy. And uh, back in, I think it was 77 or 78, I was stationed in uh, Edsel, Scotland. Actually, I was, I was working in Edsel, Scotland. I was staying at uh, uh, Brecon. Scotland, and I uh, learned to play at a little place called the Angus Steakhouse there in Brecon. Hmm. So it wasn't soft tip that was the start for you, like it is for a lot of American players. No, I'm not a, I'm not that big of a fan of the soft tip team. <laughs> <laughs> Although uh, you know I've done well in it, but uh, as if many of the top English players, but uh, or sorry, top English or steel dart players, I should say. Hmm. Hmm. And I mean, how did it go from, you know, learning the sport over in Scotland to then taking that back to the U.S. and playing competitively from there? Well, I mean, I played in a, a small league in Florida for a while, and then uh, I got out of the Navy and I moved to uh, Washington, D.C., where I started playing in a, in a much larger league and uh, went to a couple of tournaments and found out that I was actually fairly competitive with some of the players at the tournaments. Uh, I wasn't winning anything at that point, but I was I was placing well and, and uh, certainly was paying for my weekends and such. And then uh, I took it a little more serious about uh, 88, 89, and uh, then I was number one in the in the ADL ranking from uh, 92 through 95. Uh, and then 96, my father passed away, and I uh, I spent quite a bit of time traveling, and I just decided I was through with it. So I just I set them down until 2007 when uh, Barry Hearns came over and offered a million dollars for any American that could win in Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. And then I picked up again. 1992, you made your lakeside debut, and in the first round you got drawn against the defending champion Dennis Priestley. What are your memories of that tournament? Well, I remember missing three darts at 40 to take it to the last set. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, I still, I, believe me, I can still see that very clearly. <laughs> I mean, I was playing pretty good at that point. I wasn't, uh, 
wouldn't say I was the best in the world, but I was, I was com certainly competitive. Mm. I mean, you've already said already that you're not a huge fan of the, the soft tip, but you won the ball shooter's soft tip in 92, 93, and then 1997. You know, soft tip's not as popular in the UK, but how did you find those big soft tip competitions? Um, well, actually, it, it wasn't that... It was pretty good back then, but as the vending industry has taken control of it, uh, they've done... What they've done to every sport that they've touched is they... Uh, the vending industry doesn't understand that the that every successful sport is driven by how well their top echelon players advertise that sport. You know how many children they they attract by how successful they are in that sport. And the vending industry in this country has has uh, purposely eliminated or purposely removed. They've de-incentivized uh, all top players. I mean they uh, they actually rank players by, by their averages, and then they pay the top players less money than they pay the, the lower-end players. Hmm. And they justify it by there's a lot more of the lower-end players. But that's not how you grow a sport. And darts itself, is in the in, since the late 80s, has taken a tremendous plummet in the United States and, and actually in North America, hmm. which, uh, aside from the, you know, it's quite contrary to the rest of the world where I've seen darts grow tremendously from the rest of the world. And, you know, part of that growth in, in darts across, you know, most of the world has been the, the PDC. And you were part of that first PDC World Championship in 1994. How did you find it? Uh, that was a rough one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was my first time on uh, stage at Circus Tavern where you were like three feet from the from the spectators and they were screaming quite loudly as we were trying to throw it a double. <laughs> that, was, uh, <clears throat> that, was, that was a rough one. I mean, you still did beat John Lowe, who at the time was the, the last unified BDO world champion. Yeah, I, uh, I had a rough match against John Lowe, and uh, I remember having one dart at double 14, and if I hit it, I was going to win. If I missed it, I wasn't. It went in. <laughs> and why would you say that, you know, darts in North America has declined? Certainly in the start of the PDC they needed, you know, more numbers, and a lot of those players did come from America and Canada. And when you played at the World Match Play later that year, eleven of the thirty-two players were representing America. I mean, darts was a lot bigger in America then than it is now. The reason there were eleven in the in the uh, first World Championship and the match plays and stuff is is because after the split, Ollie Croft threatened all the other players. That if they, you know they would be banned from darts for life if they uh, went over and played in this new upstart, the WDC, and so they literally had to come and ask Americans to uh, to participate, otherwise they wouldn't have enough players to play it. Hmm. You know, with at least enough players that anybody had ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose having that many of your countrymen there with you, I suppose must have helped you in some way feel less like an outsider in the tournament. I mean, I knew, I knew everybody there anyway. So, you know, there were a lot of the top English players at that time were tricked because our circuit was so much better back then than it is now. A lot of them were coming over here for, you know, three to six months a year anyway. Hmm. I mean, outside of the big, that's why the, the split happened is outside of the big, you know, the world championship and, you know, the rest of the tournaments, they're, they're, in the late 70s, early 80s, there were a few other tournaments, but then, uh, then the, Ollie was his profit was coming from the 
from the world championship and TV deals and everything. <clears throat> so he kind of let everything else fall aside, and the players weren't making any money other than just that time of the year. So, you know, and their exhibitions. So they were spending a lot of time playing our circuit, which was, uh, you know, we had a, they paid a lot better than they do now, and, and uh, you know, we had a lot more of them. I mean, I mean, I remember Ronnie Baxter and Peter Everson probably spent six months a year here, or several years. <laughs> hmm. But, so, uh, you know, John, John and Eric, they were always over here as well. Hmm. They did a lot of, a lot of stops in North America. So why, in a sense, do you feel that, you know, the, the scene in America has declined if, you know, at the start of the 90s, American players were getting a lot of opportunities over here? Well, the price money wasn't that great when it started. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't anything like it is now. Yeah, I mean, I, I won ten thousand pounds for winning the first match play, and that's uh, that's like a first round out today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, talking of that world match play in nineteen ninety four, you know, you played some superb stuff all week, and you started off a couple of eight two wins, and then you beat Jockey Wilson eleven four. Your confidence must have been growing as the week progressed. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, <clears throat> I felt really good as it was. I mean, when I. Uh, <clears throat> When I was getting ready to warm up, when I was warming up in the players' room for my first match, uh, I think it was Steve Raw, mm. and um, <clears throat> I could see how how nervous he was, and I, I just, you know, I had total confidence. I went down and put uh, twenty pounds on myself to win eight zero and twenty pounds to win eight one, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I was I was up like five nothing, and then he threw in like a twelve door game, and I'm like, uh oh, there went a couple thousand pounds, <laughs> 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 and then I, because uh, he was favored for the match anyway. And then I uh, I got it to seven one, and I missed like seven darts and a double, and he takes it out, and I was like, I'm so furious at myself, and I, you know, my next seven darts, or actually my next eight darts was uh, seven trip twenties and a trip nineteen, and then I looked over and saw the car and said, oh, I'm about to win that, <laughs> and I almost hit trip twelve. <laughs> and you know, after beating Jockey and then Shane Burgess in the semis, you were playing Dennis Priestley in the final. How were your nerves ahead of that final game, or did you not have any? I just, actually, that, that morning, I, I took off and just did a walk. I uh, probably walked five, six miles that day just to try and keep, keep my head clear and uh, and block it all out. But no, I was having I was having a great time that, that, that week, and uh, I just really was enjoying it. And it was a good game. I watched the, the final between you and Dennis uh, the other day, and... You know, when that tops went in to win the title, I can't imagine you've had many sweeter feelings than that. No, no, not not, not at all. Uh, I know that uh, the first two sets were the first two sets that didn't go my way the whole weekend or the whole week. And I remember because typically, <clears throat> you know, we were able to smoke behind the stage and, uh, and drink. And uh, typically, uh, after every five legs, I'd go back and have a couple of sips of my beer and. and I smoked a cigarette, <clears throat> and that break on, on the after the tenth leg, where I was down seven three in the finals, I, I didn't go to my beer or the table or anything. I just went right in the in the uh, restroom and stood in front of the mirror and screamed at myself for <laughs> for uh, you know pretty much the whole three minutes, and then went back out and won the next five legs, of which he started three of. So obviously the screaming worked then. Yeah, yeah, I. Uh, I stopped missing doubles. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to ask you, when you won, what was the stuff that started falling from the ceiling? Uh, that was some kind of confetti. I think they shot out of a cannon or something. 
tell me about it. It was a complete surprise. <laughs> and I mean, you, you turned around after you'd won and you, know, you shook hands with Dennis and so on and you seemed to have a, a little bit of a conversation. Do you remember what he said to you? Uh, he just said, great darts. He said, you played really well. It was very, very uh, magnanimous. And obviously the building will hold special memories for you, but where does the Winter Gardens in Blackpool rank among the, the venues you've played in during your career? That's my favorite venue of all time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was it was a wonderful place to play. I mean, uh, I, as stark contrast to uh, Circus Tavern, I mean, you know, there was there was a crowd there, but uh, they were far enough away. You know, the stage was raised up, and uh, there was there was the crowd couldn't have any effect on your play there. I mean, it was just a, a really good venue to play it. And you know, darts is. I mean, I don't I don't want to get too political about it or anything, but. Uh, Darts is the only individual sport where the crowd is allowed to to be involved anyway. You know, they don't, they don't allow that at Wimbledon. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's the, the general rule of thought in the in the majority of the world is a team sport. Everybody's getting paid anyway, so you know, let the fans have their way, uh, or let, you know, the home team has a big advantage. Uh, but. In, in most individual sports, it is it is etiquette, sportsmanship, and etiquette, and because everybody's playing for their paycheck, and there is some of that is ignored in, in the game of darts. And obviously, when you won, that was a massive moment because you were the first American to win a you know a major title. Are you surprised that you're still the only American to have won a major darting TV title? Well, it was Stacy Bromberg. Mm. <laughs> You know, and uh, I, I was actually at the uh, at the World Masters when Sandy Rattan won won the World Masters. <clears throat> but uh, you know, the, perhaps the went match play is a, is a step up from those. But my uh, one of my favorite stories about the match play that first match play was that Sunday when I was out walking around mm. or whatever it was. I can't re- actually remember. <clears throat> there was a, a small car actually pulled up on the sidewalk right in front of me. And a gentleman jumped out and goes, it, it's you, it's you, is he's pointing at me. And I'm like, what'd I do, what'd I do? <laughs> and he goes, uh, I'm Jimmy the Taylor. I make suits for sporting figures. He said, but I was at the Winter Garden the, when they opened up the betting. And uh, I put, somebody told me you were number one in America, so I put 100 pounds on you. <laughs> I said, really? <laughs> so as it turned out, you know, if he was telling me the truth there, <clears throat> he, uh, he made 20,000 pounds where I made 10. <laughs> but the even weirder part of it is as I kept walking he drove away and as I kept walking I'm at least another mile and a half two miles down the road and he pulls in his driveway right in front of me and he jumps out and goes it's an omen it's an omen <laughs> <laughs> oh. did you ever see him again? those are the only two times I've ever seen him <laughs> ever heard of him heard from him or anything and I know the prize money then obviously isn't isn't what it is now, but after that win, you know, you sort of established yourself in a way over here as well as over in America. Did you ever consider maybe moving over here and pursuing darts more full time? I, I did. I had a couple offers for uh, for management and stuff uh, to do exhibitions and what have you, but uh, I. I Actually, got into. I was. I had a couple computer stores. I was into into. Uh, I'm an IT guy. I'm an MCSC and stuff. So I got into uh, running some computer stores for, while they were still valid. <laughs> Before everybody started wearing them, carrying them around in their pockets and wearing them on their wrists and stuff. 
But the computer stores lasted until about 2008, 2009, somewhere in there. But you opted against, you know, coming over here or, or doing darts as your career. Yeah, I did. I mean, I didn't see, uh, honestly, as I said, the prize money was nothing like it is today, and I didn't really see it getting to where it's at today. I mean, I'm, I'm very impressed with what Barry Hearns has done on that aspect. But he's the only true promoter, actual just professional promoter, that I, I think has ever been involved in darts. What what was it like in nineteen ninety five when you came back for the match play as the the defending champion? I uh, ended up playing Dennis in the top eight, and I was up seven three, and he ended up beating me eleven nine, I think. Hmm. And the the nerves got to me a little bit toward the end of that one. Sort of like a role reversal of the year before. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> and who would you say would was the toughest opponent of your career? Probably Gerald Verrier. The guy would. Uh, I mean, I I. I can remember twice where he missed a double 12 on a, on a nine darter against me, but he was always, I mean, right after I won the match play, I played, I went, flew right from there to Laughlin, Nevada and played him in the, in the, the, uh, uh, trying to think of the name of it. It was a, it was a tournament that Bill Nichols Sr. was running and, uh, all the, all the English guys had flown over there already, but I, I think I lost first round to Gerald and he, Average like a hundred and three or something, you know, on a on a round wire board. <laughs> <laughs> and but he just played like that every time he played me. It's kind of like when Kim Hybricks plays played Barney, you know. Hmm. Uh, Kim Hybricks just played plays phenomenal against Barney. But there's a that's I've noticed that throughout my career is that there's certain guys that uh, that just play like that against other people. You know, it's it's uh, that everybody has like somebody that they really play against really hmm. well. Hmm. And did you feel that winning the match play actually kind of added pressure to you when you were back in the US playing in events because you had kind of set the benchmark overseas? Uh, not, not particularly. I mean, I also I won uh, the Darts America tournament in Philadelphia was after that, and I won, that was a WDC, or WDC ranked tournament, and I uh, beat Ben Lowe in the finals of that. And then there was one actually here in Dayton where I live. Uh, uh, my wife and I helped set that up. But the, a lot of the top players were at that. And I, I won. The, we had it two years in a row, and I won the first one of those <clears throat> with a lot of the top players in, in the world at it. And it was uh, a singles cricket in Atlanta at the Peachtree that uh, I, I remember I had uh, Paul Lem first round, then Tony Payne, then uh, uh, Reginald Harring, and then Dave Kelly. And Peter Everson and then Ronnie Baxter in the finals. I ended up getting that one. Hmm. You know, after that, you got to the quarterfinals of the PDC World Championship in 1996, and you won the, the soft tip tournament in 1997, but then you took a 10-year break, as you mentioned earlier. Was it just that, you know, your dad passing away, did that take away your motivation to want to play? Yeah, I, honestly, my motivation had kind of gone before, before that. Like, the, the match play that I won... Uh, they, I was working at, at my shop, and they literally had to drag me out the door to get me to the airport to, to even go over for that. Hmm. And winning, winning that tournament probably kept me playing for at least two or three years longer. And I, I, w I was kind of ready to, to uh, drop it in '94. <laughs> but now, you know, since '90, since 2007 and on, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, it's a different kind of pressure than I had back then, and. Uh, I really enjoy it a lot more now. Hmm. 
So what was it that had made you sort of fall out of love with it, you know, even in 94? Was it just, it was a hobby and, and not much more for you? You know, Tom Fleetwood ran darts in America. Ollie Croft ran darts in the, U- in the UK. Um, Tom Fleetwood and I did not get along. And uh, the, 90, 90, the only reason I was in the match in the World Championship for 94 and the, uh, the WDC World Championship and the match play is because for the fourth year out of five times that I earned the spot at Lakeside, I was ignored. Mm. So, you know, I, and I didn't see the future of the PDC when it when it was there, I really didn't. Mm. So, I, I just didn't see a future in, in darts at that point. Mm. So you felt sort of ostracized from the the BDO side of the game in in, in America. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've got the most uh, World Cup appearances on the on the WDF, <laughs> and uh, you know, there's two WDF World Cups that I was that I was the number one pick for for America, and I didn't get to go. Because I was banned by the ADO over that world championship, over that uh, world match play. Wow. So they actually banned you from playing for the national team because you'd won that world match play? Yeah, I mean, one of them even, because I'm from Kentucky, and they announced the team at the Easy Money Open in Lexington, Kentucky, the, the one, I think it was 93 or 95, one of those two years. No, it must have been 95 because it was after the match play. And uh, they announced the team. I was the number one pick by, you know, a lot of points, by over 100 points. And they, they announced the team, didn't mention my name, and didn't make any excuses why that I wasn't picked. Well, and you mentioned earlier that it was uh, Barry Hearns, you know, generous offer of a million dollars to, you know, if you could win, you know, one of the big events over in the USA. And you came back in 2007. Between 97 and 07, had you thrown any darts? Um, I played in a soft tip line draw once. <laughs> <laughs> but that was it. There was a friend of mine, Bill Nickel, called me up and said that there was a soft tip line draw, uh, you know, like three miles from my house that had a, a sure shot, which is where they draw. Everybody puts money in, they draw a name out of the hat. And one guy gets to throw a triples on a soft tip board for, you know, six, seven hundred dollars a dart, whatever it was. So I showed up and played that night. But uh, that's that was literally the only darts that I threw in that period of time. Three months before the event in Connecticut, I put a board up at my shop and, and started practicing. And how was though how were those first few practice sessions? Well, not too bad. I mean, uh, it took me a while to get uh, the confidence back. But, uh, you know, since I came back, I, went, I was number one in the ADO. Uh, points uh, four times since then and I've been number two or three at least another four or five times I mean you, you do play well when you came back as well and initially when you came back it was just those PDC events that you were doing and I thought it was quite nice 2009 you got to resume your rivalry with Dennis Priestley in one of the UK Open qualifiers <clears throat> yeah I really blew that one <laughs> I was up 5-2 and missed uh, seven darts of double hmm. and then uh, after, after I missed the darts at the double in that game, I don't think he gave me another shot at a double. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was later that year you actually hit a, a nine-darter in one of the Players' Championship events in Vegas. Was that the first competitive one that you'd hit? Actually, uh, yes, it was. I had a... Uh, in Indianapolis in, like, 92 or something, I had an eight-guard cricket game, which is a perfect cricket game. Hmm. But, uh, I think I had the first one in, on an ADO sanctioned singles, but the, there's been several since then, but... <clears throat> 
the uh, I hit a couple of nine darters in practice, but that was the first one I hit in, in play. As to date, I've had uh, about five or six in practice and two in two in play. And two thousand and nine, I know you played in the the UK Open, but the following years you switched to to doing the the ADO events again. Why did you go back there? Was it because it was a change of people running it? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was, there's a lot of ADO events, and, uh, you know, they're a lot easier for me to get to and stuff. Mm. Uh, and, they, you know, all the bands had gone away. So, I mean, I was still playing. Uh, the Jay Tomlinson was running uh, PDC events. I was playing all of those. In fact, I won more of those than anybody else. And since then, the CDC with Peter Cetera has been doing uh, PDC events in the U.S. or PDC sanctioned events in the U.S. I've won more of those than anybody else. But the, uh, the you know, there's nobody's doing any bands anymore over here, so I just play both. Mm, yeah. And in 2013, you played in the the PDC World Cup with Darren Young, and while the the games didn't go your way, uh, what was that experience like of being back on the the big TV tournament? The World Cups in Germany, they, I've, I've enjoyed them. Uh, I've only played good in a couple of them. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, there's a lot of pressure just walking up there in a very short format, <laughs> trying to, representing your country, you know. <laughs> mm. I mean, I, I, I'll apologize to Darren right now for a couple of them. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, playing for your country, especially, I think it's six WDF World Cups you've been in. That must always be a great source of pride for you representing the USA. Oh, absolutely. I've always enjoyed that. Although I enjoyed the one in Turkey more than any of them. <laughs> hmm. The uh, 10 days in an all-exclusive, or all-inclusive uh, resort. And the, uh, I mean, everything, that was incredible. The 2015, the World Masters, I mean, before that you'd been racking up title after title on the American circuit. How did you feel when you came over for the World Masters that year? Actually, I, I was not feeling that well because uh, I stopped off in Toronto on my way out. That was like a uh, that was like a month long trip for me because I went from to Toronto for a uh, darts live event, then the Masters with the uh, uh, Grand Slam qualifier, and then I went to China for a uh, soft tip for a darts live event and a soft tip World Cup, and then to uh, Turkey for the for the WDF World Cup. And then back, as it turned out, I had to go back to uh, UK for the Grand Slam, and then I went to uh, New Hampshire for the uh, for uh, a tournament there, and or White Mountain Open or something. And then, uh, then I finally got home a month, and I think about six weeks later. But uh, when it started out in Toronto, I, I didn't do well at the at the Darts Live event. I lost pretty early in both both singles. Yeah, I said I think I believe I I didn't do that well in China even in the soft tip, but uh, did uh, I think I got top eight in the World Cup in Turkey, hmm. and as it was, I lost to Ross Montgomery, and then he got uh, the uh, Greek guy, what's Jan Jan or something, Jan Michaels. Hmm. He got forfeited because he had already qualified for the World the the, the, the PDC World Championship, so. Ross Montgomery beats me top eight and then gets a bite of the finals. <laughs> but, I mean, your run at the, the World Masters in 2015 was, you know, brilliant. I mean, you beat a number of top players, the defending world champion Scott Mitchell, Scott Waits, and then a, 
a cracking semi-final 5-4 against Martin Adams. Does one game from that tournament stand out to you? I was I was just really enjoying that. Uh, I, 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 it was a long day on Sunday, and I drank a little too much for the finals. Hmm. But they, they were feeling really good. And, uh, I mean, as, as I said, I got three world championships at World champions in a row there, so that was that was kind of a, <laughs> it kind of made my day. Mm. But uh, yeah, I uh, I let myself down in the finals there. Mm. Is that one of those things that if you were to look back at your career and have any regrets, would that be one of them? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I was after a retrospect, I was I was upset with the way I uh, failed to. Uh, to manage myself for the day. You I, do want to get, I, I do want to thank uh, Dada Hedman because she, she practiced with me all week that week. And uh, we were doing the uh, 120 out and such. And uh, I'll tell you, it was, it was really good practice. <laughs> <laughs> she kept me challenged. And obviously then you went on to, to play in the Grand Slam of Darts. And you were in a pretty tough group with, you know, Gary Anderson, Raymond Van Barneveld and Andy Bolton. Um, how were those, you know, few days? Oh, well, Gary just smashed me, but, uh, but I, uh, you know, I had a 180 and then uh, gave me a shot at, at 21. I hit the five, I missed two, it's a double eight. If I hit that, then I start the next leg to win 4-1 or 5-1 or whatever it is. And, I mean, I, I, I should have been through as far as I'm concerned, but I just tightened up on the double there. But, I mean, that must have been an enjoyable experience to be playing in that event. You know, it's always it's there's always three times as many uh, BD, or PDC players. It's always a lot of pressure on the BDO players. Hmm. Uh, not that to say that the PDC players aren't better. You know, as of course they're better because they always get the, the you know the BDOs never figured out how to promote and, and do what Barry Hearns does. So uh, you know, the the prize money is always going to be drawing the top players from the BDO, hmm. as it always has. But you know that that particular tournament, it's, it was always set up to favor the PDC players. Uh, Scott Scott Waits is the only one that ever uh, broke broke that uh, barrier down, <laughs> overcame the obstacle there. And the travelling continued because at the start of 2016, you played in the the BDO World Championship. What was that like being back at Lakeside 24 years after you'd made your debut? Yeah, that was fun. I I mean it's. You know, at that point, the PDC is the serious darts. That's kind of the amateur side. You know, it was it wasn't something that was just all striking or whatever. But and unfortunately, it's gone now. But uh, it was fun. I mean, I I enjoyed being back there. I just enjoyed walking through the room and looking at all the pictures and stuff. You know, the pictures of all the past players there. Hmm. I guess it was just frustrating in the sense that you'd missed out on those other opportunities in the nineties. Yeah, I mean that's. But that's that's over. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to 2018, you know that was a difficult year for you because in June 2018 you you suffered a heart attack. How how bad was that? Uh, well, it was, it was. I mean, it was a fairly serious heart attack. My cardiologist told me that they had to revive me uh, 12 times while he was putting the stent the stent in to fix to uh, open the passageway. Hmm. Uh, but I think I would have been fine. Uh, he he said it was kind of like an out. It was uh, it wasn't the main hospital. It was like an uh, a neighborhood extension of the hospital that he 
that I went to, he uh, he determined that I had a blockage that caused, caused the heart attack. He put a stent in it. But he also determined that uh, for years I'd had a 100% blockage in my main aorta, the one they call a widowmaker. But my body had made a natural bypass. <clears throat> and he was going to bore a hole through it and put a stent in it. But he couldn't do that there. He had to send me to the main hospital. He had put me on a ventilator because of how many times I had needed to be recovered. And in the process of sending me to the main hospital, somebody yanked on the, the cord for the ventilator and it ripped the vein. And I laid there for like three days bleeding. And they, you know, they basically, they didn't know why I wasn't getting, waking up or why the, <clears throat> they were telling my, my family that, you know, you probably should say goodbye and stuff. Well, they finally sent me down for an, an MRI, found out, and had a surgeon fix that. And then I, within a day or two, I came to, but uh, I had neuropathy in both feet, up, up my leg. I mean, it, was, it caused some some <clears throat> some damage that I shouldn't have ended up having, you know. But I'm, I'm very thankful to be here <clears throat> because uh, you know I was just coming back from the uh, from the Germany World Cup. And I was flying the WOW Airlines, which I don't really, I don't even think they exist anymore. <clears throat> but they all go through Iceland. Mm -hmm. And they had like uh, 10 flights coming from Iceland to the United States all over. And one of the planes had a mechanical problem. So they held all the other planes up until they got all the passengers on one of those flights. So they could get them in the United States and then take care of them the next day. And uh, so my flight... I sat on the plane on the runway in uh, in uh, Reykjavik for Keflavik, wherever it's at, for uh, somewhere like three hours. So my six-hour flight turned into closer to a ten-hour flight. I got off the plane, drove home, which was about an hour away, laid down in bed for about two hours, and woke up and had this heart attack. You know, if that happened on that plane, I'm sure I wouldn't be here right now talking to you. Had you felt ill while you were in Germany? You know, playing in the World Cup. No, I had no no signs, no illness, no pain, no, no nothing. It just uh, just woke up and it felt. I literally had a sensation like a golf ball had gotten stuck in a garden hose or something. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and I got up and drove myself to this uh, this medical facility, which is like less than five minutes from my house. And I was kind of passing out as I as I got into the emergency room door. Yeah. I remember them putting me in a, in a wheelchair, and I, that's the last thing I remember until I woke up about four or five days later. And has that left you with any, you know, lasting damage? Uh, just the uh, neuropathy on the right side of my right leg and uh, on both, both feet on my toes. I mean, they seem fine, but they just, uh, there's a weird feeling. It's not, a, it's not like a complete sense of no feeling. It's just a, an abnormal feeling. Hmm. Like, uh, Feels like I'm touching myself through something else, you know. <laughs> hmm. Did you have to make any sort of like you know diet or lifestyle changes afterwards? Uh, I've just been on uh, the, the blood thinning medications that the doctor prescribed since then. Hmm. I haven't really changed a whole lot. Hmm. And I think it was October of that year that you know you were back out there playing darts again. Did you feel any nerves going back out there and playing after what you'd been through? Well, I was just—I was just making appearances, basically. I, I, the dark. I—I'd lost so much. Uh, from the time I went in for the heart attack till I woke up and was 
able to get up out of bed and weigh myself, I'd lost like 40 pounds. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was just in a very short period of time. I lost like 40 pounds, and, uh, and I was, it seemed like most of it was muscle because I was very weak. The first start, I threw at the dartboard, hit the trip 20, almost hit the double three. I mean, it was just, <laughs> uh, I had no strength and no, uh, uh, everything was, was really weird for six months. And I probably would have been better off, I probably, now that I think about it, I probably shouldn't have thrown darts when I did. Because I've had to readjust and, and try to get my game back. Whereas if I just got my my physical my muscles built back up, and I probably wouldn't have ever been had to try and, and repair what what had happened. <laughs> so it definitely took you a while to, to get back up to speed again. Yeah, uh, uh, I mean it's just I've had a few moments in the last couple of years where they felt normal. But most of the time, it hasn't felt normal. Hmm. But now I'm at a point where they're actually starting to feel normal again. Oh, that's fantastic. And I mean, going through something like that, you know, you know, a near-death experience, that must make you, I suppose, maybe more reflective as a person. Oh, absolutely, yes. I'm, I'm just ecstatic that I got to see my kids again, you know. Hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I had a near-death experience when I was like, 10 years old or something, I had a brother that was 11 and another brother that was 21, and one night, my older brother, who was 21, he did uh, shooting competitions and stuff, and he was cleaning his, his pistol, and he was letting my brother and I cock it and fire it, and I remember it took me two, two hands, and my brother could do it with one hand, and the next day, we're out playing in the yard, and my older brother had a 68 fastback Mustang, and... Uh, my brother, a year older than me, looked through the back window and saw the gun laying in the back floorboard and picked it up and cocked it and put it right in my chest. And I screamed. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he goes, it's not loaded. And he points it at my brother's back seat and blows a hole through the back. It just misses the gas tank. Oh, my. Yeah. So, I mean, I came pretty close at that age. <laughs> I mean, I suppose now, looking forward for you, what do you still want to achieve in darts? something else if I don't you know I don't really need to win anything else <laughs> hmm. uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy with my trophy case <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean I suppose in a way it'd probably just be nice to get back playing again like oh, in yeah. person I, I've, I've not enjoyed the online stuff I would uh, really I do enjoy uh, in person competition you know because because people have effect on other people, you know. I mean, you're you're not just responding to, you're not just throwing it on your turn. You're responding to what just happened, you know. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. And it's also darts is a social thing as well. I know certainly in this country, you know, people have missed the fact that you don't see your friends that you would see, even if it's only a couple of times a year at an event. You you've missed just seeing them and having a chat and a and a beer. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. Um, and now everybody's afraid that they're going to breathe on them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did the, the heart attack and, you know, the neuropathy and stuff, did that play a role in you thinking about coming over to Q School? Was that not a... It was travelling over to the UK not really a major concern for you? Uh, I, honestly, I, it wasn't a major concern for me. I'm pretty sure I, I had the COVID at the beginning of November and... Uh, 
I mean, I had the fever and uh, achy joints, and I had uh, loss of taste, and it lasted about a week. Now, my result, my, I had I had a test done. They came back a week later and said I, I was negative, but I'm pretty sure I had it. Hmm. So I'm, I wasn't really concerned about, I'm not at this point concerned about the uh, virus at all, because I'm pretty sure that I've, I've got antibodies. <laughs> And hopefully you'll get vaccinated in the near future as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, within the next two or three months we'll all get vaccinated. And looking back on your career, what would you say is your, your proudest moment? Well, it's obviously the match play. I mean, um, that's, it was just like, uh, you know, it's like a dream. <laughs> hmm. A dream that Phil Taylor had so many times. <laughs> <laughs> Oh well, thank you so much for your time this afternoon, Larry. It's been a pleasure, and hopefully, you know, you're able to get back out there and get playing soon. And while you weren't able to come to to Q School this year, you never know. Maybe next year will be your time to shine. Yeah, I was, I was disappointed when I when we had to make the decision not to go because uh, you know I went, want to see uh, Dean and, and Lorraine as well and uh, say hi to them. I saw their names in there, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, and John O'Shea, yeah. Hmm. But there are a lot of, lot of uh, friends over there that I haven't seen in, in a couple of years now, two or three years. Hmm. And uh, unfortunately, wouldn't, I'm not going to get to say hi tomorrow. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. But maybe next year. Thank you very much, Larry. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate your time.